I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. The most important thing to understand about burnout is it's not your fault. Even if there are personal factors, a lot of personal factors that added to your vulnerability to burnout, those personal factors were developed based on things that you had no control over. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 528 with guest Kate Donovan. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited about today's guest. Uh, Kate Donovan is here. And so I'm a member of the National Speakers Association, and they have like a women's, you know, like Facebook group. And I was going to the conference. They have two conferences a year, two big conferences. And I was going to the one that happened in March. And I was like, you know, it would be fun to have a roommate. I'm such an extrovert. And I'm like, oh, save a few hundred bucks and meet someone new. So I posted in there in that Facebook group, hey, who's going to the NSA winter conference? If you are, would you like a roommate? Here are what qualifies, qualifies me as a good roommate. And I listed all the all the ways. And this woman commented and she was like, hey, we sound like we'd be a good match. DM me. And it was Kate Donovan. And we had so much damn fun together. I haven't laughed that hard in so long. We had to like put caps on how late we were staying up because it turned into like slumber party, laugh so hard, you're going to pee the bed type of thing. And I knew I had to have her on the show because she talks about burnout and she has a really popular podcast and I'm, I'm, of course, going to tell you about it. And I just adore her. She's so smart. And she's such a phenomenal keynote speaker. And before we jump into that, I do want to mention that I have one spot open for private coaching. If you listen to the show, maybe you've heard a few of the podcast episodes that I have on where I coach people on the show and you are in the middle of a transition. Maybe there are some boundaries that you need to set, some hard conversations. Maybe you want to know what your values are and lean into them and see what your life could look like if you did that more. 
go to andreaowen.com slash coaching and there's application there. And if you're not exactly sure what it is that you want, sometimes that just even looking at the questions on the application can help you do that. If we do end up on a 20, 30 minute call together, I will be honest with you and tell you if I think I can help you or not. And 95% of the time there is, <laughs> there is a fit and we can make magic together. Of course, there's no obligation if you, if you do fill out an application and, and get on a call with me, but I would love to chat with you and see if we'd be a great fit. All right, let me tell you a little bit about my friend and colleague, Kate. Kate Donovan is the host of Fried, the burnout podcast. She's a keynote speaker and author of the book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor and a Burnout Aficionado. Her creative burnout recovery solutions have been featured on podcasts and online magazines such as Forbes, NPR, and the New York Post. And in companies such as Lululemon, PepsiCo, and the New York Public Library. So without further ado, here is Kate. Kate Donovan's here. Isn't it just wild? I I mean, I was so hoping this day would come, and here we are. You and I became fast friends and stayed up a little bit too late laughing, and you almost made me pee a couple times in my bed, <laughs> which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to, to crack too many jokes. We have big things to talk about. We do. We have important things to talk about. And and in all seriousness, I couldn't wait to have you on because my audience, there's a lot of high achievers listening, some type A personalities, and the majority of them, some some not, but a lot of them, you know, are from the United States where our culture is go, 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 produce, produce, produce. And even if you didn't grow up in the US and it is that way in other countries and cultures too. So let's start from the very beginning because I know that there's some people who hear the word burnout and they're like, is that just like when you get really tired or like sick of your job? So can you talk about like, what are the symptoms? How does someone know that they're there? Like, do they have to get a diagnosis? Like, what does that look like? This is a an easy and a difficult question all at, all at once because it's not necessarily yet considered a diagnosis in the U.S. So in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. absolutely, you can get a diagnosis. In the U.S., not necessarily. Right now, the World Health Organization considers it an occupational hazard, which is not okay. the same thing as a diagnosis. There mm -hmm. is an ICDQ uh, code for it. ICD codes are the codes that you need to diagnose things. If you are uh, anyone, if you are a healthcare worker, you know an ICD. So it's like a billing type yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so there is a code for it. But it's kind of like not really used and there's no reason to use it because it doesn't get you anything in the U.S. It's not okay. like it doesn't get you anywhere. So they're still working on that. However, that being said, in 2019, end of May 2019, the World Health Organization decided that they were going to adopt the definition of burnout that has been created by burnout researchers who have been doing this research since quite literally before I was born. So the wow. first big research on this by Christina Maslach and Michael Leiter, who are the big names in burnout research, came out in 1976. And the three oh, wow. components that must, there, there's earlier studies on it, but that they were a little more haphazard. The three components that must be present in order for someone to say this is burnout. The first one is physical and emotional exhaustion which to me is a little bit silly because that covers everyone I've ever met and every symptom right. that you could possibly feel. And it's feel. also subjective. Yeah. I think for women, like we can take a lot of that bullshit before we, you know, yeah, <laughs> something needs to change. So, so it's kind of like, mm, that's okay. Mm -hmm. The next one is cynicism and detachment. 
Mm. So this one is a little bit, I think, if you're a high achiever and you were naturally positive to start with, falling into a place where you're being really cynical and really negative all the time is a is a shift for you and that will be more noticeable. But if you are someone who tends toward pessimism in your normal life, this is not going to be as drastic a shift. Yeah. You might not see it. The detachment part of this has to do with feeling like you are alone, nobody can support you, nobody understands what you're going through, this kind of stuff, which happens when we get pregnant, when we have babies, when we do, you know, like it happens mm -hmm. a million different times in our lives. There's nothing out there that could possibly help you. Right. Yeah, I've been there. And then the the third part is they write it differently in different places. In some places they write it that it's a reduced efficiency of work, so a lack of productivity. And in other places, it's written that there's a sense that the work that you do is not impactful. So maybe you're A, not getting enough done, and B, you don't understand what the point of it all is. So this oh. can be true no matter what your work is. This was one of the main reasons I realized I was burnt out because I was literally helping people make babies. I was a fertility acupuncturist when I started my burnout cycle, and that's is there anything like more important? I know. And I like did helping not continue the human race. Did yeah. not care. Wow. I didn't. I didn't. I, the only reason that, like, it was that it was, yeah. The only reason that I was happy when my patients were pregnant was relief for their emotional strife that they'd been going through mm -hmm. and relief that somebody else would be coming off my very full calendar. Yeah. That was my response. Like that's not an appropriate response. Mm hmm. Okay. So the three of our, just to quickly recap, it's physical and emotional exhaustion, um, feeling cynicism and detachment. And then the third one is what again? Lack of feeling a lack of impact of your work or lack of productivity. Lack of productivity. Okay. Yes. I've been in that place a couple of times. Yeah. Probably three times over the course of the last you know, decade and a half of of doing this work. Are there certain industries that experience this more? I'm making the assumption that helping professions like healthcare, therapists, teachers, like, you know, like the kind of helping professionals, but is it sort of all across the board, like into corporate America? Like what is what do the stats show? The stats show that burnout is at a rate of anywhere from 38.1% to 89%. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Could be a few people, could be almost everyone. Exactly. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> and that's really the answer to the question. First of all, because burnout assessments are a little bit hard to do. There's the Maslock burnout inventory, which is one that's used pretty commonly, but it needs a little bit of updating. And there's a couple of other ones. And we haven't used them well enough or long enough for them to be valid and reliable. So there's kind of a big question mark. And I think that I just wrote a paper on the fact that people that experience um, high levels of childhood trauma tend toward higher levels of occupational stress, which leads mm -hmm. towards higher levels of burnout. Within that same paper, while I was reading through all the research, one of the themes that popped out at me was that people that have higher levels of ACEs scores, this adverse childhood experience score, also mm -hmm. tend to be the ones that choose helping professions. So mm -hmm. in the average population, in order to have like one ACE score, it's about 16% of the 16.7. So 17% of the population has one adverse childhood experience like on their docket. Nurses were, I think the number was 72%. Wow. Police officers were 53%. Teachers mm -hmm. were also over 50%. 
So I think that there's a like, yes, these professions are also set up to harm you. <laughs> like there are workplace mm -hmm. factors, there are systemic factors in play. And those are the ones that we have the most research on. They are workload, lack of recognition, lack of community, values mismatches, right? There's the there's six different factors. But then if we look at the personal side, we're looking at if 50% of the people coming into this profession don't have well-developed stress systems and cannot respond appropriately, not through through no fault of their own. This is not blaming right. anyone. Please, like mm -hmm. for, from the get-go, please understand that there is no blame or judgment here. There is simply you got seven points out of 10 from the get-go and everybody expects you to be able to function at 12. Mm -hmm. So the people that mm -hmm. got 10 points, they're sort of managing and doing okay and having worse days once in a while. But the people that only got seven points are like, how can anybody handle this? Let's talk about the A score. I had a client who was a, a special education teacher, mm. actually, and she said that they had a work like um professional development training yeah. come in and they did the A score and she had never heard of it before yeah. and she scored really high and it was all very interesting. So can you explain what what that for yeah. people who don't know, like that score of one to ten, what is the the A score, the test? ACE stands for adverse childhood experiences. And it's usually, you'll see it in the literature as big A, big C, big E, little S scores, okay. ACEs scores. I called it ACE scores for like two years. So now I'm trying to correct myself in as many places as I can. Okay. <laughs> and so ACEs scores, are, there's usually a series of 10 questions that ask you about things that happened often or very often before your 18th birthday in your home. And everything you say yes to counts to as one point. And the questions are things like, did you experience physical violence against yourself or did you witness physical violence in your home? And those are two separate questions. So either one of those can get you a point. So sometimes these things get overlooked because it didn't happen, quote unquote, to us. Right. 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 So it, was someone in your house, yes. an uh, active addict, yes. was someone incarcerated? Exactly. Yeah, some does somebody questions? have a, mm -hmm. a chronic illness or does somebody have a mental illness? Was there neglect, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And there's only 10 questions, so it's not like 70. No, yeah. it's 10 questions and 10 points. And what they've shown is that there's a dose-response relationship between ACEs scores and later depression, poor mental health, anxiety, and other physical illnesses like stroke, heart disease, and diabetes. Mm -hmm. So a dose-response relationship means that the more ACEs scores you have, the worse results you have later. So at, for every one point in ACEs scores, you get one worse thing later, kind of. I mean, of, of course, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but dose response just means the more you have here, the more you have there. Interesting. I made a TikTok several months ago, and it was it was something like, um, if you were somebody who your your feelings were neglected or dismissed, how's that helping profession working out for you now? And it went viral. Yeah. And the amount of comments of people saying, just listing all different professions, a lot of teachers, nurses, yes. law enforcement, um, people who rescue animals, yeah. like, <laughs> all of those. It was really interesting. I had, I didn't expect it. It was, it was sad and also really, really in interesting. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk about resentment in regard to burnout recovery. So we'll be right back.
There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again, and I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I've taken several classes with Masterclass on things like communication, entrepreneurship, and storytelling, and absolutely loved everyone because of their caliber of instructors and how concise the classes are. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. You can make new habits with New York Times bestselling author James Clear, improve your physical and mental well-being with leading gut health experts, or build stronger relationships with renowned psychotherapist Esther Perez. She is so amazing. I had gotten curious about how to be a better communicator, so I took the Art of Negotiation class with Chris Voss, and it helped me to do things like read body language, read speech patterns, and so much more, so I can better communicate with who, you ask? My teenagers. (laughs) Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Andrea. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Andrea. Masterclass.com slash Andrea. Okay, so you have a keynote called Resentment is the Burnout Recovery Tool We All Need, which made me very intrigued. So can you tell us why resentment? Like what is the connection? Resentment is the emotion that will teach us where every single one of our boundaries is out of whack. Mm-hmm. That I do know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's a very simple statement. I'm not the first one to say this. This is Gabor Mate talks about this. Brene Brown talks about this. You know, talk about it in the 12 steps of recovery. It's it's part of recovery. It's part of it. it like I was in Al-Anon as a child because my father was an alcoholic. So I went through the Al-Anon process as a child. So I probably got some of this messaging then that I didn't realize I was going to be using 30 some odd years later. Mm-hmm. But here we are. And so to me, First of all, you can't set boundaries if you don't know where they're being broken. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get boundary information from the internet and then go out and like throw up electric fences all over the place. And then everybody around them is getting shocked. And they're like, that's because you you wanted me to be weak. Like, whoa, <laughs> sister, slow down, roll it back. Like, we don't need electric fences. Mm-hmm. For the most part, mm-hmm. every once in a while, somebody needs one. That's okay. Sure. But we don't really need them to be all the time. And I'm going to say something extremely controversial. I can't wait. I love those. No is not always a complete sentence. <laughs> Thank you. But Instagram memes tell us they are. And like, <laughs> no. 
Next question. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I don't think we're doing a great job at boundaries. And I think one of the reasons is because we're not addressing the things that come before we set them. First, we need to look at the resentment and find out where they're being broken down. Then we need to assess the things that are broken down and start to understand if they are our own choices that we are overstepping into other people's gardens. People are not jumping over our fence. We're jumping over mm -hmm. other people's fences. You need to fix that part first. That doesn't usually require a lot of conversation. That's just a lot of you not doing the shit you've been doing for 20 years that nobody's been grateful for anyway. Yeah. Can you give us an example of that, of what that might look like at work? Yes. So say you decided the first week of work, you were going to show up with cupcakes. So you bring cupcakes into work and you're like, hi, I'm the new girl. Like, here's the cupcakes. And everybody's like, yay, new girls, cupcakes. Three weeks later, somebody's like, hey, cupcake girl. And you're like, shit, now I have to be the person that brings the cupcakes. So you start making a list of everybody's office birthdays and you start bringing in cupcakes for every single birthday because now you're the cupcake girl and you've taken on this responsibility and, and you kind of like the attention at first, probably, of like being the cupcake. There's probably. good feedback. Mm -hmm. Jumping over our own fence to take care of other people typically starts out with you getting good feedback. That's why you continue doing it. Yeah. So you hop over the fence, you hop over the fence, you hop over the fence, you bring the cupcakes, you bring the cupcakes. And then you're like two years in, your kid puked that morning, your boss yelled at you yesterday, your husband just told you he wants an open marriage, and you're like, really? Now I got to go get cupcakes? Not the kind of cupcakes that you were looking for in your marriage, I guess. <laughs> like, what the hell? When you start to feel resentful about the fact that you're always the one that brings the cupcakes, you have to stop bringing the cupcakes. Mm -hmm. But you have to deal with the associated guilt that comes from that. Not that you're supposed to feel guilty about that, just that you probably will because you're human. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. So uh, this happens in a lot of different ways. Somebody starts off in the in the company and they're new and they ask you a couple of questions in the beginning. So you give them the answers that they need because you know they need a little bit of help. And then all of a sudden they're asking you for answers that are in a spreadsheet that they have. Mm -hmm. And you're still answering them, but you're like, uh, Jane, you have the spreadsheet. Yeah. And so you start to get a little passive aggressive. In your emails. Yeah. And every time her name pops up in your inbox, you, your eyes roll and you're like, what does she want now? Open the damn spreadsheet, Jane. Just mm -hmm. open the spreadsheet. Damn it, Jane. Damn it, Jane. Meanwhile, you set up this relationship. Mm -hmm. You didn't say, hey, Jane, these are the numbers that you need. Here's where I found them. When you need them next time, look here. You answered her questions 14 times without giving her the information she needed to get the answers to the questions. And now you're mad at her for not having the answers to the questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've written about this in my books. And it's funny, like I'll be at an event and people will ask me, they'll give me a, a, a similar scenario. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, did you read the chapter where I like laid out exactly how to have the boundary conversation? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, did you do it? And they're like, no. <laughs> So do you have any advice? <laughs> Some people don't want to take mine. <laughs> well, I think there's two different conversations to have mm -hmm. because we're either talking about internal boundaries or external boundaries. Some internal boundaries, the ones where you're jumping over your own fence into other people's backyards, don't require a conversation. Some of them don't. You can stop bringing the cupcakes without telling anybody about it. 
mm-hmm. just you just stop. Yeah, you can do that. If Jane keeps asking you for something, you probably have to say something. But this goes back to you say the thing you should have said the first day. Tell Jane where the resource is and how to use the resource and say, I'm not going to be able to answer this question for you anymore. Here's the resource that you need. You'll find everything right there. And then you move on. But external boundaries are a different thing. External boundaries are when people are exploiting us. So Jane was not exploiting you. You might feel like she was, but she wasn't. She was just playing the game that you set up. It wasn't personal. It wasn't personal. But when people are exploiting your boundaries, when people are stepping into your space, when people are are jumping over your fence and walking in your front door and you're like, what are you doing in my house? Mm -hmm. Creep. That to me, those conversations need the word brat, B-R-A-T. Brat stands for belief or believe or beliefs, resources, abilities, and trust. Some combination of those words will help you to formulate a sentence that is clear, kind, and concise, that doesn't have any passive aggressiveness, and that hands the power back over to whoever is asking you for something, to saying, hey, no, you've got this, you can do this. So I believe in your ability to use these resources. I trust that you'll find the right thing that you need. I trust that you can even, this works even with your children. Mom, there's nothing to eat. I trust that you can find, if you open the refrigerator and you use your eyes, I trust that you are going to find everything that you need to have something to eat. Fill your tummy. To fill your tummy. Right? So not all of those words all the time, but one of those words, I trust you, I believe in you, you have abilities and you have resources. I trust you. I believe in you. You have abilities. You have resources. When Mm -hmm. you keep saying things like this to people all the time, they start to understand that they are trusted. You believe in them. They have abilities and they have resources. And that you're not going to bend over backwards anymore to wipe their ass for them. Well, what what they don't understand when you're using these words is that they're not even thinking about that part because they're now focused on themselves. Oh, right. They're not thinking about what you're not doing for them anymore because they're like, oh, I can do. You're right. Most people Mm -hmm. want to believe that they are resourceful, that they have the abilities, that they can take care of themselves. So reinforcing this for people is an excellent way to set boundaries that doesn't require you to like explain yourself. But it's also not just being like, no. Right. Which I want to ask you about in a second. But that example that you just gave about helping people realize that they have the resources to be able to take care of themselves, I'm thinking of some families where there's adult siblings and the parents might be still taking care of one of the children like financially and then the other siblings are like resentful about it. Why are you in my life right now? (laughs) I may have personal experience with that and I may have some clients who deal with that too. (laughs) What's the question? Well, I want to circle back about actually about the what sometimes when no isn't a complete sentence. Can you give an example of maybe like when it is and when it isn't? Yeah. So when somebody is asking you to do something that's like really not your job, 
And we're talking in the workplace. Somebody's, it's really not your job. It will require you to stay late or it's some sort of like super extra thing. You can just say no. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. that can be the end of the story. However, if there is a situation where it kind of has to be all, all hands on deck and everybody's, everybody's pushing beyond their boundaries because sometimes this happens. What I need everybody to understand is no matter how great your boundaries are, sometimes you're going to violate them because you need to, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. My rule is if you have to violate your own boundaries, you've got to pay yourself back somehow. But say everybody in the office is staying late and you literally can't. Yeah. Your mother is not going to get fed in the hospital if you don't get there. Like, you can't. For whatever reason, you really can't. In situations like that where everyone else is making a sacrifice, you're not required to explain yourself. But if you want people to grant you any sort of grace and compassion, you might need to tell them as much of your story as you feel comfortable with. Some context. Some, a little Mm -hmm. bit of context. Mm -hmm. Not because you owe it to them, not because you need to justify it, but because humans are really bad at granting each other grace and compassion without context. Yeah. Especially when you're part of a team like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's to me that points also to like trust and yes, in, in within a team. Okay, thank you for that. I, I want to ask you about psychological safety because that is a topic that you talk about in regard to burnout. So, what does that mean? Psychological safety is a couple of things. First, it's your ability to mess up or say something wrong or do something wrong within a, where this is again, we're talking about in a workplace, in a workplace without fear of retribution, without fear of being made fun of, shut down, bullied, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that you can mess up and you will still get supported. Psychological safety is also, we're going into Brené Brown work, right? This Yay. is We're going into your world now. Mm-hmm. Psychological safety is also belonging, is not mm-hmm. having to adjust yourself to fit in because you are accepted for who you are and what you are and everything that you bring to the table. That is tricky, I think, especially when it comes to people who are in marginalized communities. A hundred percent. I don't think that they're ever necessarily psychologically safe. I think that's one of our biggest work hazards that exists right now. Yeah. Which actually, I want to pause for a moment and ask you about that in regard to burnout. Are there any stats that show that burnout is more prevalent with people who are part of marginalized communities, especially you know people of color? Not yet. Mm. I'm I'm shocked that they wouldn't do research. On yeah, that. I was just going to say, and we know why. <laughs> right. My assumption is that yes. Because they're, because of the uh, social determinants of health, people in marginalized mm-hmm. communities tend to have a higher ACEs scores. And with higher ACEs scores, you're going to have higher levels of occupational stress later in life, which would tend toward more burnout. This is a hypothesis of mine and an assumption of mine, something that I believe in strongly, but I don't have research to support it. There is research that Black female therapists do, go, do have more burnout. Because of secondary trauma, because they're going through their own experience of living as a black female in the world, and then they are listening to other black women and black men share their experiences about being black in in America. And so they're living through their own stuff and other people's stuff. And so that secondary trauma is creating a big problem in the black therapist community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. How does one create psychological safety? 
if they can. Psychological safety, I think, starts off with clear leadership. So this starts yeah. from this is leadership level work, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Somebody on LinkedIn ages ago, and I wish I could remember their name so that I could um, give them credit, said that he starts his weekly meetings with his team with his last week's failure. This is how I failed last week. And either here's the solution that I found or I haven't been able to fix it yet. Does anybody have any ideas? This opens the door for everybody to be able to share about something that they're tripping over, that they need help with, that they haven't figured out or that they did figure out so that they can share and say, hey, I tripped over this, but I figured it out in case somebody else needs that solution. So starting off with failure shares is a really great way to create psychological safety. Mm -hmm. One of the other ways that I really, really love is playing the Just Like Me game. Do you know the Just Like Me game? I don't, but I think I would like it. What is this that? is Shamus Pitts taught me taught me the Just Like Me game. The Just Like Me game is when Jane emails you again for the s- stupid numbers on the spreadsheet and you roll your eyes and you get annoyed and you're like other you are now othering Jane because you're like Jane can't get her shit together. The Just Like Me game is stopping and saying Jane just wants to get her work done properly just like me. Jane has people at home that love her just like me. Jane has hopes and dreams and ambitions just like me. Jane wants to be healthy and happy just like me. Is rehumanizing each other by finding a sense of shared humanity. And this is something that each one of us can do. This does not depend on leadership. This is something that every single person can do no matter where they are to increase the level of belonging for everybody. Yeah. So those are two ways that I, I like that I think are really cool. That reminded me, talking about our, our hypothetical poor Lady Jane here, it reminds <laughs> me of, did you ever watch Parks and Recreation? I didn't. Okay. I was out of There's, the country during that time. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there, you know, it's it's a workplace, basically. It's an office, you know, it's a Parks and, parks and Recreation. And there's a group of like four of them and they make fun. They have like, they bond together by making fun of... Is his name Gary? DM me, you guys, because like they they call him like as a joke, they call him like Barry and Larry. I think his name is Larry. <laughs> they like and they that's how they they have like weekly meetings about and and like laugh about all the things that he did that week. And like there was this whole episode about it. And of course it's a show, it's a sitcom. And but I'm thinking to myself, like, how often does that happen? Like where somebody becomes like the butt of all the jokes that work. I've worked in offices like that and I've participated. Embarrassingly, I have participated, but it is incredibly dehumanizing and it creates a shitty culture. And this is something that shouldn't be encouraged by leadership, but also is really something that people can work on on a on a single person level and an interpersonal level. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to be friends with that person, but it just means like... Can we talk about this for a little bit? I wasn't expecting to go here today, but it's bubbling up in the back of my throat and I can't yeah, yeah, not. Yeah, I'm happy to. People talk about oxytocin as being the love hormone. It's intimacy. It's breastfeeding. It starts contractions to give birth. It's bonding. When we have sex. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's intimacy. It's bonding. It's all of these things. Oxytocin has like a shadow side that nobody wants to talk about. Ooh. So oxytocin isn't really like the only the love and connection. It's sort of like a social scan of people that should be included in your circle and people that should not. So when oxytocin has decided that somebody doesn't belong to your tribe, it flips on them and it becomes really hard for you to 
find compassion for that person and to include that person because your hormones are telling you they don't belong. You have there's either been some lack of trust or some dislike of some sort or something's happened that something has something othering of something them. othering mm-hmm. that ha- that makes you say no ma'am not here not today satan mm-hmm. and this is if we go back to tribal times people always talk about the lion or the tiger or the saber-toothed tiger being the thing that created fight or flight that was mm-hmm. not the thing that created fight or flight most often. People knew when there were saber-toothed tigers around. Like, they yeah, they, they were in tune to that. They knew how to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah, like, they could follow the prince. Like, they knew where they were mm-hmm. most of the time. Of course, it happened. But, like, that was not the big, the big fear. And the big fear that we still have, the big fear that hasn't changed, is being ostracized. Mm-hmm. It's shame. It's shame. It's not belonging. Because back then... Were you, if you were ostracized, if you were pushed away from your tribe, you didn't have enough skills to survive. Not every single person in the tribe had all the skills. That's why they were a tribe. Mary got the berries and, you know, Sally got the cow and whatever. Like everybody had their job. Everybody had some sort of input. So being ostracized meant that you weren't sure which berries you could eat all of a sudden. I mean, I obviously like, I think we all have experienced that. Whether we are the person that's othered, and my heart goes out to those people who've experienced that kind of trauma, or we just have witnessed it. But I, I, it's interesting to me that oxytocin is a part of that. It doesn't surprise me, right? Because it, it be, it, it's a physiological response that we have. What's interesting to me is, and I'm sure people listening to can relate, is, and I still like it makes my stomach hurt to think about. So I was the kid who. People are surprised when I tell them this, but I I actually was a very shy child Mm -hmm. and I didn't really even kind of step into my extroversion until high school. But when I was a kid, I remember the kids who, and I kind of um, flew under the radar. Like I was never really the popular kid back then, but I also was not the kid that was ostracized. But I remember those kids who were. And I remember feeling paralyzed of not being the kid that participated in the making fun of, but also not being brave enough to stick up for that kid for fear that I would join and then become the kid that was made fun of. Yeah. And I still remember the first and last names of those kids. Me too. They're a pop, they're in my head right now. I can see him in my face in mm-hmm. second grade classroom. Mm-hmm. I can see him. And I, I just makes me curious about that. Like, it, and I'm sure there's hormones involved in that yeah, too. Of and just this, natural inclination to not be ostracized yeah. just to to try to get any kind of psychological safety that we can yeah but i want i want to sort of allow people to understand that if they are the person that's like the perpetrator in some situations mm-hmm. that there might be this sort of hormonal neurochemical thing happening that in order for you to be kinder you have to override mentally. You have to do the just like me game. You have to get curious mm-hmm. about this person and find something to connect with. You have to you don't have to ever like them, but you have right. to know what's happening so that you don't become the bully inadvertently. And I, I've done it. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is totally avoidable. Like this is this is an embarrassing part of being human, I think. Yeah. But it is a physiological response. So just be aware of that. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to just underscore that it's not like if you have participated in that, I, I honestly don't think that you're a bad person. No, I think that just something, whatever was going on, everyone's trying to get their needs met. And sometimes we do that in really crappy ways. Yes. 
yes. trying to belong. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take one more ad break and I want to ask you again about boundaries at work because I, I think I it's just something that really needs to be talked about more. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash noise. Try to find the perfect gift for someone special in your life, maybe for Mother's Day, but feeling overwhelmed. Finding a unique gift that they'll love that's personal and that they won't already have can be the ultimate challenge. That's why I'm so excited I've discovered Songfinch. It's an amazing, thoughtful gift, and it's easy and fun to make. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and lasts forever. I had Songfinch make me a song about my dad, which was a gift to myself. This was such a personal song for me, and I was a little skeptical the artist could capture the emotion I wanted. But during the process, they have you share some personal details about your relationship with the person you're creating the song for. Then Songfinch, musician of your choice, you get to pick based on samples they have, will write, record, and produce your original song in just four to seven days. I love my song so much. I was so emotional when I listened to it. I had no changes. It's perfect. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Go to songfinch.com slash noise and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash noise. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash noise. Sometimes I get this question and I'm like, I don't know the answer (laughs) because I haven't worked in corporate America for so long. It is really not my area of expertise. So can you, can you kind of talk us through how someone would set a boundary at work when Maybe the boundary is with someone in leadership mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't, I don't know how to go to this person. Like, do I go to HR? Like, what is the, kind of the protocol that people should take? I know that was really broad, but maybe you can give us like some common instances. Well, I think it depends. This is, a, this is, there is a lot of space here to work in. If the person offers you any level of psychological safety, you have a one-on-one conversation first. Mm-hmm. If they don't, You have a conversation with someone else in your team that's a peer first to assess your assessment 
of the situation. Because if you're coming into a situation and say you have anything over four aces is considered high. So say you have like five aces in your back burner, you're coming into the workplace. One of the things that you're likely to be unable to do is assess people's intentions properly and assess your safety properly. So Mm -hmm. you might just, when you grow up in situations where you're constantly unsafe, you tend to create this belief that it's your fault. Kids do that. Then you carry that through your whole entire life. So you get into a work environment that's a little unhealthy and you tend to think that everything's your fault. And then you over-interpret people's words. You don't trust that people are saying what they mean. You feel like everything is a manipulation. So if you're in this situation and you trust your boss, go to your boss. If you don't trust your boss, you go to someone that you do trust that's more likely a same-level peer and say, hey, I want to break this situation down. Can you tell me how you see it? Not because they're more right than you, mm-hmm. just so that you can see if you feel, if you still feel like after they explain it, there's another explanation, there's a different way to look at it, there's maybe you were missing something that you didn't know, right? So before you go to HR, get some sort of consensus about what you're really talking about. Yeah. Then go to HR Okay. and have the conversation. And hope for the best. And hope for the best. <laughs> but to me, boundary yeah. building at work is a data collection practice. If you are consistently attempting to build boundaries at work, the first thing that you have to ask yourself is, am I actually building boundaries or am I making requests? Because those are different things, right? Mm -hmm. A a request is, I would like you to stop emailing me at 6 p.m. A boundary is, I'm not going to respond to emails after 6 p.m. Right. Those are different things. Mm -hmm. Boundaries, if this, then that. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. If if this, then this is my response is a boundary. Asking someone to change their behavior is a request. That's not a boundary. I I call that sometimes just a hard conversation. Just a hard conversation. Yeah. So uncomfortable. Make sure that you are making if there's a request that you're making the request and if there's a boundary that you're stating the boundary and make sure that you're not hinting. A lot of us learned to do things like, oh, it's cold in here. Instead of being like, hey, can we turn up the heat? I'm cold. It's cold in here doesn't say anything to me about your needs. Right. Well, that actually brings me to my next question because I was doing I was doing some research this weekend because I'm I'm writing another book and I'm doing a short chapter on poor com- the, the various ways of poor communication and I came across stats about people who are passive aggressive and this happens a lot at work. And and actually one of the stats that I saw said that a lot of people quit their jobs over that. Because someone or some people are chronically passive aggressive. Yes. So can you talk about like say it's it's a more like a coworker type of situation where you don't necessarily need to to go to leadership or HR. Can you can you kind of walk us through like how you would address that? Even if use that example of like somebody who's like, oh, it's so cold in here, or or gosh, this email that I sent you, I don't see a response. Did you respond? I, I like to just call these things out immediately. Mm-hmm. kind of when they're happening. It's cold in here. I will look at someone now and say, is that a request to change something or are you just making a comment? Mm-hmm. You're just thinking out loud. Just ask the question. So for me, yeah. the answer to these things typically is curiosity. What is it that you're trying to get to? Trying to get to to create enough space for someone to say the thing that is that they actually want to say. And this is really hard for people that have been taught their whole lives to not speak up about their needs. So I don't blame anybody Mm -hmm. for not knowing how to do this. 
Especially women. Especially women, right? We're taught to ignore what we want and need all the time for the sake of pleasing others. Like, Mm -hmm. it's constant in our lives. So I'm not blaming anybody for this, but I start to get curious. Well, then what do you, do you need something? I probably wouldn't say it like that. (laughs) Right. But I would start asking, is there a request, a request that you would like to make? Are you cold or is it cold? Happy to help. Was there something you needed me to do? Exactly. I get to the point where I would almost force the person that I'm interacting with to come out with a straight answer eventually. I I just made an appointment recently with a somatic practitioner and she sent me intake forms and she said, it would be good to have those by Friday for me to have them, for you to have them. Do you want me to print them and fill them out and send them to you? Do you want me to fill them out online and email them back to you? Do you need to have them? Do I, who needs to have them? Like, don't be vague. I don't know what you mean here. (laughs) Of course, I can kind of guess that like you need them. But the way she worded it, I was like, that sounds like if can you send this back to me on Friday? But if you can't, no worries. (laughs) Yeah, but it wasn't even can you send them back? She said it would be good by Friday. But like, good, what would be good? Do you want them to be finished by Friday? Do you want them back by Friday? Do I need them by Friday? Because there's questions that I need to explore. Before we do this, we're like, what are you asking yeah. for? Oof. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that I was having another conversation with one of my friends about that for women specifically about being clear about what it is that you're asking. Don't beat around the bush. Don't say things like, oh, just there's so many qualifiers that we put on and or giving people an out when we really don't want them yeah. to have an out. We could talk about that for an entire <laughs> episode that's i talk about that constantly on the podcast because i'm like listen you no more hinting no no more hinting and if you have to start small because you're nervous about doing this start small start saying at home hey pick up that towel please you know like start like start doing really little things but you got to start somewhere you got to start somewhere and i know that you know the whole topic the umbrella topic is burnout yeah. but i i love that we spent a decent amount of time around communication because and t- and tell me if i'm wrong it sounds like so well at least a majority or some of burnout can be prevented by having better communication is that fair i think better communication i think i would go a step backwards from there having better communication requires you to be more aware of what your wants, needs, desires, and preferences are. And if you know what your wants, needs, desires, and preferences are, you're more likely to engage with getting them met. And when you are more likely to engage with getting them met, you are less likely to burn out. Yeah. But you can't have the communication portion if you don't even know what you want to say. You're just walking around feeling irritated and resentful. Feeling irritated and resentful and meeting everyone else's assumed needs And they're all annoyed at you because they're like, Ma, I really don't want a sweater. I'm not cold. And you're like, but I'm cold. Here's a sweater. And you're like, but I'm not. Put your sweater down or put it on yourself. Like, get away from me. Go get socks. Like, go away. Nobody wants your help here. It reminds me of this funny story. Speaking of wanting a sweater for your child when they don't want one. Every, I think every parent who's had a middle middle schooler can can relate to this. And so I would always just buy my kids winter coats. We live in North Carolina, so it's not that bad. But I got my son a winter coat one year. I think he was in probably sixth grade. And he, you know, it was winter. He would never wear it. And he would just wear like this thin hoodie. And I, I almost every morning for a while, I was like, 
will you wear your coach to school? No, will you wear your coach to school? And then one morning I said, why did I even get you one then? And he goes, I don't know. I didn't make the decision to buy it. Exactly. <laughs> What's like? <laughs> At first I was like, fuck off. <laughs> I didn't, I would never say that to one of my kids, but it stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. Because I was like, he's right. Yeah. And he's a teenage boy. He's on fire all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a biological hazard as a mother to want to clothe our children because we constantly think they are cold. I remember my mom doing it to me. And that was, that was the day I stopped buying them coats unless they specifically asked for one. Yeah. And also just, and he was, you know, 12 ish, just like let him take the lead on his own physical needs. Yeah. Well, and he hasn't had a winter coat since then. And a lot of times we do that not just to children, but to other people in our lives, because we are Mm -hmm. afraid that other people are not speaking up about their needs because we're not speaking up about ours. So we go around trying to meet all these like perceived unmet needs around us. Trying to force people to wear the coats that we bought for them that they never asked for. (laughs) I had to carry a coat, like a, a thin like bomber, like the one I have on now, around Key West when my mother in law was visiting us. We went to Key West. Because she was convinced that I was going to be cold the whole time. Now I have to do extra work for 10 goddamn days. It's 82 degrees. Go away. I don't want the fucking coat. I didn't carry it around the whole time. I did just leave it there. But you know. But it's the way we show love. That's not love. That's not love. That's codependent. It's control. It's fear. And it's an unwillingness to speak about your own needs. None of those things are love. Yeah. Okay. Before we go, is there anything you want to circle back to either to underscore or to add so you feel complete before we close up? The most important thing to understand about burnout is it's not your fault. Even if there are personal factors, a lot of personal factors that added to your vulnerability to burnout, those personal factors were developed based on things that you had no control over. Period. Period. And where can people go to find more about you and the work that you do around burnout? The best place is the podcast is Fried, the Burnout Podcast. You can find it anywhere. You can pretty much find any topic related to burnout that you've ever wanted to find. And if I haven't made it yet, it's coming. So Fried. It's in the bucket. Yeah. So Fried, the Burnout Podcast fried, is the best place. Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. And that link, of course, will be in the show notes, including like your socials and your website and everything. Thank you so much for being here. This was so educational for me too. And just a treat to, to be able to get to talk to you again. It's always a treat to hang with you. Oh, thank you, lady. Listeners, thank you so much for being here. I know that your time is precious and valuable, and I'm so incredibly grateful that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. 
So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.